Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Mark Madness has passed us, but BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sports book experts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast. Today is Monday, April 12th, 2021. This is episode 15 of season three. And we have a very, very special guest and a dear friend of mine, Travis Clark, who is the executive vice president of business development, action sports and Olympics at Wasserman Media Group, which if you don't know who Wasserman is, then you should Google it because it's a big company and uh, they got a lot of really cool stuff going on and uh, a really fantastic history and uh, and of course, um, Casey Wasserman, who's the head of Wasserman, is uh, uh, heading up the 2028 Olympics. But uh, Travis is, um, again, as I mentioned, he's a, he's a dear friend and he's somebody that's been involved in the action sports and Olympic space for quite some time. So, um, Travis, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeremy. It's been, uh, been a minute and it's good to hear your voice and see the success you're having with your, with your latest endeavor here in the podcast. No, I appreciate it. And hey, you know, just trying to have some fun, right? Trying to, to bring in some good content. You know, it's funny back, I want to say this was back in 2000, maybe it was 2018. Um, we had, uh, yeah, I guess, well, I guess this was actually April 2020. So not going back that far. I remember I had this great quote from you where we were, I had interviewed you for this article. And one of the big things that we sort of talk about on this show is like how people kind of get to where they're at and uh, sort of what their career path is. And you had this great quote about, you know, how you went to law school really to, um, to sort of just get the knowledge. It wasn't to, you know, become a licensed attorney. And it's so great how you've been able to utilize sort of that education to push uh, into that space. So Travis, if you talk a little bit just about kind of like your background and, you know, sort of where you grew up and, Sort of how you got into the current role that you're at now. Yeah, born and raised San Diego, um, fifth generation Southern California, um, and you know, lucky to live in one of the best places in the world. And so I um, grew up with the San Diego lifestyle: surfing, riding dirt bikes, you know, skateboarding, snowboarding, um, all that fun stuff. Uh, got involved in racing off-road cars down in Baja. And one of the guys I raced against happened to be the X Games uh, announcer for the X Games. And so I was just completing my first year of law school. And on a whim, I asked uh, my friend Cameron if he knew any action sports agents. Uh, that, that profession had always intrigued me. Um, but, you know, I was a fan of the stick and ball sports, but really a participant and really a, a big, um, big, big fan of the action sports. 
And he introduced me to a guy who was running the only agency at the time that, that worked with actual sports athletes. So I started interning there. Shortly after that internship was over, um, I was offered a job. And then shortly after that, Casey acquired that agency. Um, and uh, so I've been here ever since, um, going on 18 years. Um, and now I run the Action Sport Olympic Division um, at Wasserman. No, that's great. And then, Travis, like, give us a little bit of, um, you know, and it's so it's so cool because a lot of times when people think about sports, they think about the, like you mentioned, the stick and ball, right? But the reality of it is, is that action sports is such a huge industry. And it's an industry that's actually been growing, right? And can you talk a little bit about kind of some of the work that you're doing for uh, some of your clients and, and really talk a little bit about sort of how it's affected um, or not affected your, uh, your business during sort of this past year during a pandemic? Yeah, I mean, action sports, people sometimes forget, you know, or overlook action sports because they think, oh, I grew up riding a skateboard or a BMX bike, and that was more of a mode of transportation than it was a sport. Um, but there's a whole industry and, and network out there of events and, and uh, competitions that cater to it, um, those sports. And, and it's definitely more of an emerging, I hate to say emerging because it's been around for a while now, but compared to, you know, your sticking ball sports, I guess you could still say it's emerging. But it's finally starting to get the recognition I, I think it deserves, you know, with, with surfing and skateboarding uh, recently added to the Olympics. Obviously, snowboarding was added a few years ago. You're starting to see sort of um, the acceptance mainstream of, of action sports. Um, and so it's been, you know, it's been a, a fun ride. You know, uh, X Games really was the first one to put action sports on the map. Um, but I, I think the Olympics are going to take it to another level, um, especially, you know, with surfing. Um, and the adoption of wave parks. I think surfing is going to really become a lot bigger uh, than it even is today or a lot more known when they start building more parks in places like Texas and Alabama and Virginia um, and all over the world. It's going to bring that sport to a whole new audience um, and really kind of help to grow it and add that with the Olympics. I think it'll be probably one of our bigger action sports here, if not the biggest in the near future. Still a ways to go, but we're pretty bullish on that sport in particular in the future. Um, and then, you know, how is it affected by COVID? It's kind of interesting. Um, we've actually benefited from COVID, as awful as that sounds to say, while so many people are out struggling. But, you know, with everyone working from home and offices shut down, um, bars closed, restaurants closed, movie theaters closed, you name it, no sporting. What if people had time to do with had free time? And bike sales with the skateboard sales through the roof, surfboard sales through the roof. People are doing things and they're out recreating in ways they've never they never truly have before. Um, our action sport division encompasses more than just um, you know, skateboarding and surfing and snowboarding, but you know, we have a lot of motorsports that fall into that supercross and motocross, UTVs, off-road racing. All of those industries have been really impacted in a positive way from, from COVID because people have had time to time to do things and some people have a little bit more money to spend with either stimulus or their their respective jobs doing well. So sales have been through the roof, participation's been through the roof and and it's, I think, got a lot of people, um, a lot of new people exposed to the sport, which, which bodes well for the future. No, that's fascinating. And, you know, Travis, you bring up a really good point um, with regard to sort of like adding these new sports and, you know, having these sort of uh, wave parks and places where they don't have beaches, right? And, you know, you might have a lot of water in terms of lakes, but you don't have the beach to, to really surf in, right? And so adding those resources um 
You know, it's interesting. You know, the it's funny because the action sports industry. Could you tell us a little bit more about sort of like breaking into that space? Because I've always kind of thought that, you know, action sports was a lot like esports in the sense that completely different areas, but in the sense that a lot of the times the folks who were involved in action sports are the folks who actually competed in it at one point or had some sort of involvement or passion for it. Uh, and sort of similar like thing with esports, where Whereas I feel like a lot of times it may be the stick and ball sports, you can have people who may be, let's say somebody who loves mathematics and he gets into statistics and he says, oh, I love baseball for that reason, right? Or I'm involved for that reason. Do you kind of see that as the case or am I completely off on that? Well, no, I think that, um, you know, from a participant standpoint, like I touched on earlier, people oftentimes looked at just riding a bike as, you know, transportation. And that was to get them to their job, to school, to whatever else. And they kind of viewed it as such. I think with the um, emergence of action sports in that category over the last decade, um, people now look at it differently. They look at it, hey, it's not just a mode of transportation, but potentially it's an opportunity for advancement. It's an opportunity to, to become a professional athlete. Um, I have two clients who were uh, born and raised in Compton, and um, <clears throat> they are the national and state um national and state respective crit champions uh, in the u.s and um they've used bicycling and, and and racing bikes to get out of their situation so i think a lot more people um see that now uh, obviously like i said with, with surfing becoming on uh, part of the olympics skateboarding becoming part of the olympics they can really dream and aspire to be an olympic athlete which gives them a lot more motivation, I think, to want to participate and stick with their craft and look at the sport differently than they may have looked at it, you know, years ago. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. It's like, you know, maybe uh, those sports becoming like more mainstream, which is great, right? In the sense that mainstream and that there's more revenue opportunities, there's more sponsorship opportunities. Um, and of course, you growing up in that arena gives you a, a great insight into it, right? Cause you can speak to your clients from the standpoint of, Hey, you know, I've been there, right. Uh, I've, you know, like I've, I've, I've been on these bikes, right. You know, like I've been in these tournaments or what have you, you know? So well, I remember, remember a long time ago, you would used to tell me stories about like some of your times in Baja and you mentioned that, you know, in our sort of introductory part, um, kind of run us through if you can, Travis, like, uh, a typical experience with, or maybe it's not typical with regard to Baja. Like if you have a big race down there in Baja, California, what's kind of like, what's the run up to that? Like, what's the, what's the situation there? Oh man, the, the, the run up to that starts <clears throat> weeks, sometimes months in advance with just uh, getting everything ready. Um, you know, Baja, it, it's, it's very, it's very challenging because you have to be pretty self-sufficient. You know, it's like if you're going to play a football game and you had to take all your equipment, create the field, you know, and build the field and take all the fans and everything else to another country and fit it all up. It's, it's very different. You know, we have to start preparing, you know, stockpiling parks and, and planning in advance for hotels and meals and all that stuff. So um, a lot of the races is actually already won or, or at least the groundwork for the wins laid, you know, weeks and months leading up to it as you do your homework and prepare for it. And then once you're down there, it's kind of, um, it's, it's a little bit uh, challenging sometimes and you have to adapt, but 
but it's a lot of, uh, you know, trying to stick to your plan and, and, and rely on the work you did leading up to it and pivoting where necessary. But once you get down there, you know, the beauty of Baja, a lot of people love doing it is you, with the pre-running and the pre-running is, is where you get to go and, and, and drive. And I say drive, not race, but drive the course um, before you get to race on it. And what you're doing when you're driving is you're taking notes and you're making um, a GPS file that you'll then use in the race. So that will be, you know, rock on left, cattle crossing, road crossing, tree, stump, whatever it is, silt, dust, you know, whatever it is that you want to make as many notes as you can to give you the best competitive advantage you have come race day. And of course, um, that changes. So you're, you're never completely relying on your notes, but you're using your notes as a, as a good guide um, for when the race comes and when the race comes, it's, it's time to put all that work in, into, 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 into focus and then go out there and try and execute on it. Um, and it's not, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, you're racing, um, sometimes over a thousand miles nonstop. Um, there's no rest, there's no stop, there's no break. People always ask where you go to the bathroom. Well, you wear a catheter, um, and, and, and you go as you're racing. So it's, it's a, uh, it's a unique event. It's an endurance event. I love it because it's not just a uh, physical challenge, it's a mental challenge, it's a, it's a lot of uh, preparation, which which is just kind of unique from a lot of different forms of motorsports. Now, that's fascinating. I remember you telling me some funny stories about <laughs> some of your client experiences down there with stuff breaking down or not going the right way, right? <laughs> yeah, you always uh, have to be quick to pivot, that's for sure. You always got to be quick to pivot and uh, adapt. Uh, you know, nothing's ever easy down there for sure. Right. And you know, it's interesting too, because like, you know, it's like, like, like with NASCAR or with uh, motorsports and general action sports, it's funny. It doesn't really get the credit that it should, but there is so much tech and data that goes into these sports, you know, just as much, if not more than your stick and ball sports, right? Because you're dealing with man and machine, you know, versus like, picking up a basketball or having a, you know, a wooden bat and a, and a, and a, and a leather ball. Right. It's like at the end of the day, like I think with that's the sort of beauty with action sports and there's probably a lot of room for growth with regard to tech and data. Like, what would you say with regard to that? You look at, you know, your traditional sports and you know, the, the bat hasn't really changed. Uh, the ball hasn't changed. You know, the, the, the equipment stays the same. Sure. There's some, some technology that goes into, like baseball and, and what Billy Bean did with, with, you know, looking at statistics and using that to help analyze and create, you know, teams. Um, and tech's helped, you know, in those regards, but the sport itself is, is relatively unchanged. It's really just a, a man against man, but you're, you're right. I mean, in, in motorsports, um, technology is always advancing and, and usually that means it's getting more expensive to participate. And that's a big problem with motorsports today. Um, you know, you, the, the long gone are the days where a guy could build a race car in his garage and go compete and win a race, either Daytona 500, Le Mans, a bottle, a thousand, whatever. Those days are long gone. It, it, now it's, it's very much um, big teams, big budgets, big technology, um, and it continues to advance and, and, um, and make the sports harder. It's, it's unfortunate for, for young kids out there that don't maybe have the means or the ability or the connections um, sometimes there's really talented drivers that you just, you never, never get a shot at, at racing. Um, if you watch, you know, drive, um, on Netflix, the formula one show, you, you'll not sort of notice a pattern. A lot of those, those drivers are coming from wealthy families, whether it be the Stroll family or the, 
the young kid that um that Renault signed uh, this year. His family owns a large uh, company, I and mean, it's, it's a lot of a lot of that now in motorsports, where it takes so much money to get to the top that that it's, it's providing um, uh, precluding a lot of young talent from 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 getting a shot at it. And, and the teams and the leagues are aware of it. You know, they're, they're working on things to try and. Um, mitigate against that. NASCAR's got their whole diversity program where guys like Bubble Walls have come up, um, and that's been great. And I think you'll see more sports, uh, more and more sports try to adopt that. But it is a problem. Technology costs money, and money, you know, um, money is really leading a lot of the developments in those sports. Yeah, no, it's a good point, Travis. I mean, and it's well taken because you look at, I mean, I've had race car, you know, driver clients, and it, it was one of the saddest things to see because you know, you'd have the greatest talent and you'd, you'd go out the track, you'd see him race. You'd be like, man, he's got all the skills. Right. But it was the money thing. And it's typical of like, um, with your motorsports because you don't have high schools that are really investing in those programs. You know, high schools are finally now and colleges are getting into esports. but, um, you know, you don't have motor, you know, motorsport teams. Right. And so there's not like a development system guys can come up through, it's one of those sports where it's just, it's, it's money in some sense, sometimes speaks before talent. Right. And of course, if you have both great, but it's one of those unfortunate things. Um, so Travis, I'm gonna take a quick commercial break and then we'll come right back. We want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay, whether rare dead stock and the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for as the original sneaker marketplace. eBay is the place to go to grab the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. It also protects the sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers of $100 or more, making it free to sell your collection. So go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. All right, Travis. So uh, we're back. So uh, Travis Clark is on the, on the uh, podcast with us today. He is the executive vice president of business development and action sports and Olympics at Wasserman Media Group. Uh, obviously a, a really big um, sports media group and agency. And um, we were talking about Baja California and some of the races and the preparation that goes on down there. And, um, and obviously some of the money and sort of development things that are beginning to change in the sport. And he mentioned the, the NASCAR diversity program. Um, and we're starting to see this in other sports too, but Maybe Travis, if we could kind of switch gears a little bit, um, talking a little bit about maybe the lead up to the Olympics. Now we have obviously the Olympics here in, um, I guess what it's, it's going to be 2028, right in Los Angeles. And so it's going to be a big thing, but obviously we're going to have Olympics prior to that in what 2024. So, um, can you talk a little bit about kind of the lead up to the Olympics and kind of how that works for you and your team and, and for your clients? Yeah. Lead up to Olympics is, is, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of planning. Obviously the athletes are working really hard training, um, to get ready for it, you know, trying to time their, 
their training programs so they're peaking during the Olympics. You guys might have heard kind of how a lot of the athletes were thrown for a bit of a loop um, when they pushed the Olympics because they had, you know, trained for the last four years getting ready and, and timing to, to coincide with these games. So they had to kind of reassess and reevaluate their training program. So it's a lot of working with the athletes to make sure they're ready, but also working with the, the, the national uh, bodies um, and the Olympic committees, trying to uh, obviously put together marketing programs for the companies that are there marketing um, their athletes and figuring out, you know, who needs what, what athletes could potentially fit that void and, and that marketing need and trying to put the programs together. Um, and then, you know, kind of sit back and, and, and see what happens during the Olympics. It's a little bit of a wait and see. And then you know, there's always those athletes that do really well. Um, and then it's a, a mad, you know, mad dash to try and capitalize on that, that momentum and that, that success um, and turn that into more uh, endorsement opportunities and, and, and financial uh, windfalls for the athletes um, that, that have capitalized on their success at the X Games. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? Cause you, you totally made me remember, I forgot that we had we're supposed to have the 2020 Olympics. I mean, clearly the, the year has had an effect on all of us. Right. And uh, that's right. We're supposed to have the 2020 in, in Tokyo and now it's going to be 2021. And then of course there's going to be somewhat of a quicker window turnaround, right. For 2024 uh, because you'll go to Paris and, and then I think what 2028 in LA. So um no, that's fascinating. I think maybe uh, last question for you, Travis. You know, a lot of folks out there, I mean, we've got a pretty diverse audience. We've got attorneys, business people, um, you know, and we've got a lot of students as well that listen in business and law students, undergrad students. Maybe a little bit of advice about, you know, how to break in or maybe some tips that you've kind of learned along the way. Yeah, I mean, um, Never give up. First and foremost, I'm a big believer um, in you create your own luck. So it's a lot of networking, hard work, um, the squeaky squeaky wheel gets greased um, type mentality where um, it's a competitive uh, world uh, in sports. You know, there's a lot of people that want to participate. We get countless uh, resumes and inquiries. And I always tell people, you know, what's going to make your resume uh, stand out? If I've got 10 sitting on my desk, you know, from this week alone, why should I look at yours? Um, what, what's going to be unique? You are a, a marketer uh, and you market your athletes and that's how you make money. So show me that you're a marketer, you know, figure out a way to stand out. Um, just like you need to figure out a way to have your athletes stand out and, and, and make sure they're getting paid, not only um, getting paid, but getting paid more than everyone else. And that's your job as an agent to, to think like that, especially in our world of action sports where we don't have teams or, television leagues <clears throat> revenue to, to, to support us. And we've got to go out and sell partnerships. Um, so, you know, when people want to get into it, I, you know, I encourage them. It's a great sport. Uh, it's a great space to work in sports and there's a lot of fun opportunity, <clears throat> but it is competitive and you need to really um, hustle and, and it doesn't get any easier once you get the job. I can, I can promise you that. Um, but it is a, a full-time job uh, getting in. Right. And, you know, I love, I love the point you made Travis about, um, you know, you are in the space of, you know, you know, marketing clients, right. So use some of those skill sets to market yourself. Right. And I think one of the unfortunate things is that sometimes we end up being like the worst salesman for ourselves or we end up being like our worst critics. And so I, I really love your point about like never giving up and 
continuing to push forward. Um, if we can, and we got a few extra minutes here, I want to sort of close with one other question. And um, it's sort of, you know, obviously we got a lot of changes going on in entertainment media sports. What are, what are some things that you kind of see on the horizon? Uh, you know, maybe some, some trends or uh, some different things you might see coming up maybe in your space and sort of action Olympic sports or even beyond that. Um, I think, you know, the changes in the future, I think will be in how social media continues to evolve. There's a lot of talk obviously politically about, um, you know, how social media companies can and can't regulate content. Um, I suspect there will be some changes in the future that may affect how um, we operate on social platforms. Um, so I think that will be, you know, something to watch uh, and see. And obviously, you know, uh, what emerging social platforms are of the future. You know, when we first started, <clears throat> there was MySpace, you know, and then Facebook and then Snapchat and Instagram. And, you know, they've continued to evolve and change and, and kind of have their ups and downs. So it's always kind of staying on that forefront of that. Obviously, digital rights, I think, will, will continue to become a bigger and bigger part of the sporting landscape and how people sell and package their sports. Um, and then in our sports, you know, action sports in particular, I really do believe that surfing um, will, will really gain some popularity and notoriety in the years to come. I still think we're, you know, five, 10 years away from seeing, um, you know, changes of, of substance, but as more and more wave parks are developed and you have, you know, a couple Olympic cycles of surfing, um, I think that uh, it'll, it'll open up new opportunities and, and new uh, markets for that sport. Um, and, and skateboarding too, although skateboarding is, is pretty uh, globally uh, available to participants, all you really need is, is some hard asphalt to, or concrete to ride. Um, but with, with the Olympic edition, I think you'll start to see park um, and uh, become more popular. And I think you'll start to see some more skate parks open up. So we're excited about those, um, those opportunities to showcase our athletes and, and see how that helps grow our sports in the future. No, that's good stuff, Travis. And you know, it's funny, as you were talking, I'm thinking to myself, like, it's so great with, with, uh, with surfing because you really, you know, you only need, you know, really two things, right? You need a surfboard and you need an ocean, right? I yep. guess, the, I guess the problem is, is that sometimes the waves don't, uh, don't always, uh, don't always comply with what you're looking for. Right. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes Mother Nature doesn't want to cooperate, so she uh, she can make it a little challenging. But um, there's some really uh, exciting. I'm a little disappointed where they chose to do the the surfing for for Tokyo. It's, it's historically not very good. But um, the 2028 Olympics, there's a, a really cool opportunity that I can't talk about yet. It's not public knowledge, but that if they pull it off, it will it will in my opinion, probably be the most watched Olympic uh, sport because it will be pretty radical what they're, what they're trying to do. So I'm excited for 20, 2028. Oh man. You got, now I got, just got goosebumps when you said that. I can't wait to, to, uh, to hear more about that. I mean, I grew up with cousins and family that just love surfing and um, surfing pretzels and all the other places along Southern California, you know? So it's, I, I feel like it's about time, right? I mean, surfing yeah. such a great sport. I mean, how many movies are about surfing? There's like this culture surrounding it. So it's nice to see finally it getting recognition in the Olympics sure. and, you know, seeing yeah. some of these guys get highlighted, but, um, sure. so Travis, I appreciate you and, um, you know, really appreciate you being on. So for all the listeners out there, this was Travis Clark, executive vice president of business development 
action sports and Olympics at Wasserman, Wasserman group, um, a dear friend and, and really appreciate him coming on. So uh, this has been episode 15 of season three of believe in sports law. I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. And uh, this episode has been brought to you by bet online. So thanks again, Travis, and appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thanks for having me, buddy. Good luck and continue to do good things. Appreciate your help. All right. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate you. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.